You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Forget to use the microphone. So we're going we, to have an opportunity to talk to each other. And so if things are coming up as I'm speaking, questions, stories from your life, ideas, rebuttals, um, let's, let's have a conversation. There's going to be time in this meeting for that. So a couple weeks ago, my friend Maria, um, in Talkback Time, um, she talked about the concept of shalom and how um, it means peace. It's kind of like an old-timey Bible word. It's a Hebrew word. Um, And she talked about it because our friend Rand had just given a sermon on on Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers. And um, in Talkback, she said, you know, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's it's way bigger than that. It's this concept of shalom, which is like wholeness and completeness and um, working together, people working together. And I thought um, she really hit on the heart of it. Um, when we talk about peace, we've got to talk about shalom. And it's not, and, and what I want to really focus on tonight is that it's not something that any of us can achieve on our own. Even though we are so taught as Americans that we should be, you know, self-sufficient, independent. We're, we're taught this from day one. We should be able to pull ourselves up when we're in trouble. We should, like, spend our adulthood becoming self-actualized, um, you know, so that we're just complete in and of ourselves. And what I hear Jesus saying and doing is something really different from that American way. And uh, what God is doing in the world, even through creation, is this, this beautiful network of interdependence where we are already connected to one another and to God and to creation. And we can't really separate that out even, even if we tried. Um, this is something, shalom is something that we can't achieve on our own. It happens together. We do it together. We need each other. Um, I think especially in spaces where we can like um, ask questions about the deepest stuff going on inside of us. So I hope, I hope this can be one of the spaces in your week like that. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Um, well, let, let me just also say, that's a, hard, that, that's a hard thing, that shalom only happens together because we're all so different from each other. Well, people have a hard time getting together, right? You can see this all over our city. Um, you can see this in churches. Uh, you can certainly see it around the world um, in the international conflicts going on all the time. It's really hard to be together. And so how do we actually achieve this this idea of shalom. The church has always had a hard time with this too. And so even from its very beginning, and so Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, 
at one time about what Jesus was doing to try and bring people together who had huge differences, who felt very different from each other. So I want to focus on that passage here tonight. Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So the particular groups that Paul is talking about here in the early church are the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles meant everybody that wasn't a Jew. Um, Because this story of relating to God that we get in the Bible comes mostly through this tiny group of people, the Hebrew Hebrew people. That's how we kind of get the story, even even though they're just, you know, one group among many in the world. Um... They, they kind of had access to the story first, or at least they wrote it down. And Jesus himself was a Jew. And so um, a lot of the Jews in the early church felt this kind of spiritual privilege. They struggled with this sort of feeling like, like they were more special than the others because they had this whole history with God, this rich history with, you know, these, these rituals and practices and traditions that were written down. Um, they had Jesus literally, you know, coming out of their lineage. And um, it was special. They, they were special. And, and, you know, the story that we see in the Bible is like God really looking out for them, even though they're like always trying to do their own thing and not paying attention like we humans are. Um they, they, um, God kept calling them back. And so they, they knew that they were special. But Jesus comes along and really expands that story to everyone. Because really, it wasn't just about the Jews' specialness in and of themselves. It was the nature of God trying to show us all that this, this is how God works. God does look out for us. God does call us back to God's selves, where we become our fuller selves. Um, so, so it was more about God, really, um, than the specialness of this one group of people. Although my, be- my friend Ben over there is Jewish, and I think he's extremely special. Um, they, yes. But the, but they were an example for for the world, not not this like rule about exclusion and inclusion to be to be held forever. 
And so they were working this, they were trying to work this out in the early church after, after Jesus's resurrection. And it was really messy in community as community always is really messy. They were trying to work out like, like who, who they were uh, for, for the first time. Um, and they had grown up with a literal, there was a literal stone wall in the temple, in their temple in Jerusalem that kept the Gentiles outside of it. And, and there was a literal like sign on the wall that said, strangers and foreigners cannot get past here um, by pain of death. And um, you can kind of see like the hierarchy there of like who could get close to God and who couldn't. There's like a special place for the women. Um, but yeah, but the Jews were like on the outside. I mean, the Gentiles were on the outside of the wall, um, not allowed to worship with the Jews. And in fact, Paul was eventually arrested and condemned by the Jewish religious leaders for taking a Gentile Ephesian across that barrier. And so it wasn't just a, a law like a wall of hostility or like bad feelings or like prejudice. It was, it was a law. It was actually written into their law. Um, kind of like white supremacy has been like, the lie of white supremacy has been written into the laws in the United States. That This was written into Hebrew law. And so um, what Jesus is doing by his death on the cross to bring these two groups of people together is is uh, earth shaking. It's it changes everything. Um, and so I, I love the even like the the image of the cross, how it's two lines going in opposite directions, but there's this center point there. I think that is really a great symbol for what Jesus is is doing with his body. He's literally like making a new meeting place, a new fellowship by which this impossible thing can, can happen. Paul wrote to the, to the Colossian church, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus be, becomes the peace, Yahweh Shalom, that makes it possible for people to come together. And Paul knows what a big, Paul knows how impossible this is in the messiness of the, of the early church forming. Like, he himself knows better than anybody, like, how, how wild this new revelation of Jesus is, because he, he used to be a Jewish religious leader. He had all the privilege of being like trained in the law and he was so bought into it that he was killing, <laughs> he was going around murdering anybody who said differently and feeling justified for it. So when, so when Jesus gets a hold of him and completely change it, transforms him, um, he knows what an impossible kind of message he is preaching to to the early church and why it's so hard to believe it, um, why it's so hard to actually come together in community. He knew that we need, like, 
we need transformation. We need like we need God's help to do it. And I love that the word that Paul uses here. Um, Jimmy, can you go back to that passage? Oh my gosh, no, forget about it. I'll just I'll just say it. When G- when Paul says new, that Jesus is making a new humanity. That word, that Greek word that he uses, kainos, um, literally means something that hasn't existed before. Something that has never been has never been brought into the world before. So, so we're talking about something beyond like unity and reconciliation and these these nice words that have been used. Um, Sometimes, you know, unfairly, I think, by dominant culture to kind of lump everybody into one group, you know, kind of like the assimilation process is in the United States. Um, Jesus is doing something totally, totally different from that. Um, Completely new. Creating something completely new in his own body. An opportunity for fellowship with God in himself, in which everyone has the same access through faith. And so the Jews are going to have to repent of their spiritual privilege to, to get there, um, because the only way to come to Jesus is through grace. Nobody, no matter how long you've been part of the church, nobody is just entitled um, to this by any human privilege or capacity. And so the Jews are going to have to participate in like destroying the enmity, that, that wall of hostility um, that has been upheld by their laws, even their religious laws and regulations. They're going to have to set their laws aside, like Paul is saying. Um, and the Gentiles have to be brought near by a new invitation that acknowledges how they've been excluded in the past. And I, and I, I want to show you how Paul actually does that in this passage in Ephesians 2. That middle paragraph is the part I showed you before, um, but he, he gives a little preamble. And then, and then the new thing at the end where he acknowledges what, how the Gentiles have been excluded um, from this covenant of promise that the Jews had, but now through Christ, God is doing something new. God is making us all a dwelling place of his spirit together. And so Paul is explicit. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And God's people is this brand new thing that has never existed before. Like, you know, even in this meeting, like where it's, it's happening in a new way that has never been done before. And um, I wish I could show you the beginning of this chapter because uh, Paul gives a great like foundation for, for all of it, for happening, the impo- this impossible thing happening because he says we were all, we were all once dead in our sins in this like, you know, fruitless kind of addiction to just gratifying ourselves, being self-absorbed. But now, 
Jesus has made you, by his grace, has made you alive through Christ. And you're, you no longer have to be slaves to yourselves any longer. You're brought into this like work of God in community. And so what God is doing in us is beyond the sin and injustice that has kept us apart. That's what Paul is saying. We're being, we're invited to be totally transformed, not just like get along or tolerate each other. And baptism is one of the symbols we have for this new creation that God is making out of all of us. This is Pedro getting baptized a couple of, how many years ago was it, Pedro? Five or six, maybe? And we're doing that. We're doing this again um, on the twenty third uh, in the Delaware. If anybody is interested in being baptized, we try to make a regular opportunity to like practice, um, like following Jesus in this way. Uh, kind of like going under the water is this symbol of of being reborn, of. Um, taking this new identity, like acknowledging that like we belong to God and God belongs to us, like we were singing. And, and it's, a, it's a new citizenship that is eternal. It's, it's, um, it takes us kind of beyond the laws and regulations that we've grown up with. So there's also a guy in the Old Testament that I want to tell you about tonight, even though... I didn't plan to talk about this. Um, friends kept putting him on my radar this week, and I, th- I think it was God like trying to like speak things to my heart that I needed to hear. So I'm going I'm to say, talk a little bit about the story of Gideon too, because he was also transformed by Yahweh Shalom, Jesus our peace. He was this really scared, needy guy in a bad situation. Um, There he is, like, trying to press wheat, like, in the dark, in secret, like, to feed his family, um, trying to to press wheat in a wine press. And that's, that's like, kind of a symbol for how little food they had. Um, Like, typically, like, wheat is pressed in a really big, like, open area if you have a, a big harvest. His people were like in such a terrible situation that they were like living in caves in mountains. Um, the, the Jewish people um, in this moment in their history were being like attacked from enemies from all sides and they would try to like plant their crops and their crops would immediately get plundered and along with all of their uh, sheep and cattle and so they were literally like hiding out in caves in the mountains, um, you know, just barely surviving. And uh, that's where we meet Gideon. Um, and I want to tell you his story because it's all, it's all about God doing the impossible in our vulnerability. Like it, like it shows how like what God is doing is not through our like 
greatness in any way. It's not through our intelligence or capacity or like what you know any anything about us. It is it is it is because this is what God is doing, and it happens just through our simple like availability. So Gideon was the youngest in his family, um, and his tribe wasn't powerful. His family was a mess, and they were in this really bad situation. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon literally says, pardon me. I can hear Josh saying this. Gideon literally says, pardon me to the angel of God. And he says, how, is, how in the world is God with us if all this terrible stuff is happening to us? And the angel doesn't answer that question. Um, which, you know, God, I feel like God, that happens sometimes. We don't get a direct answer. But, but the angel does say to him, I'm sending you. I picked you, Gideon to save your people out of this mess. And, that, and all you have to do is go in the strength that you have. And again, Gideon says, pardon me. Um, I think this is like one of the most realistic dialogues in the Bible because God keeps saying this great, like impossible truth. And Gideon is like, what the heck? Um, and the angel says, Gideon says, how in the world can I do this? And the angel says, I'll be with you. Peace. Do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And so Gideon builds an altar there to remember this, this impossible word from Yahweh Shalom, that, that God is peace and that he can go in the strength that he has and that he's not going to die. And, um, and so he gets particular instructions to gather an army. And um, he argues sometimes, but he generally obeys. But what God asks him to do gets weirder and harder. Um, like he does a good job gathering, gathering his people into an army to fight these enemies. And God says... It's too many. If, if you fight this battle with this many partners, you're going to think it's because you and your people are so great. You're going to think it's because of your own strength that you won this victory. And so in, in one of the moments of like thinning out Gideon's army, he sends 22,000 guys home. And... Um, Basically, God boils Gideon's army down to 300 men. And compare that to, um, like, the, the Bible says that the, the enemy tribes were so numerous, tens of thousands, that they looked like locusts swarming on the land. And so Gideon has 300 guys <laughs> to fight all these... Um, powerful enemies and with God's help they win the the enemies like basically just like go running and they know they know it's the power of God not 
not necessarily the, um, you know, the, the might of the Hebrew people. I think that um, God knew that I needed to remember this story this week because we too have lost a lot in the pandemic. Sometimes I feel like we're like, we're like getting down to that 300, you know? Um, but God was reminding me, it's, it's all about the work of my spirit. This is so, um, this is not an invitation to rely on ourselves. It's not about the strength of our leaders. I mean, they are really cool. Look at Allie. I mean, she's totally awesome. But it's, it's not about, um, it's not about our stuff. It's the willingness and the obedience of our leaders. It's not about the number of anything we have. It's about our courage to trust God um, and, to, and to go in the strength we have just to use what we've got, even in our vulnerability, even in our weakness and fear. Like Gideon reminds me that we can, it's, a, it's all useful. It's all useful in God's story with us. And Jesus brings it all together on the cross. You know, he, he does this impossible thing with his own body in dying and rising. So I still need to plan for our sunrise service. It's happening in two weeks at 6 a.m. If you ever get up early, this is, a, this is the time to do it. Um, it's usually a lot of fun. But I keep waking up with the song, Crown Him With Many Crowns, on my heart. Because um, it's, it's an Easter song. And um, if I was a better singer, I would, I would sing it for you. But... I thought we could just read the words together here tonight. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think it just tells the story so beautifully. So can somebody read it, um, the first three verses, and then another person read the next three? It's about this victory that God brings to doing the impossible. Thank you, Bob. Somebody else, keep going. Thanks, Catherine. The flowers in there got me thinking that we should, on Easter, we should just make a crown of flowers this year and kind of hang it on the cross. And, um, you know, in place of the, the crown of thorns, I was thinking, too, about that crown of thorns that was pressed into Jesus' head um, not just causing all this physical pain, but this shame. You know, they were making fun of him for being, um, claiming he was a king. Um, and it all comes full circle. And so thinking about the, the crown of flowers, um, I was also thinking about the, I remembered that the Ukrainian people make these these flower crowns traditionally, they're called Vinox. And um, I was kind of sad to remember because I, I don't know how many are wearing them right now. Hey, Jimmy, can, we, can you show us the Vinox? I don't have a big theological point about this except that they're just <laughs> so beautiful. Um, and um, 
I think right now um, a symbol of the beauty and the tenderness we need. Um, men and women wear them traditionally in wedding ceremonies, but women wear them at, at other, time, other ceremonial times um, in their culture. And one Ukrainian um, woman who wore one at her wedding said, peace may be the most prevalent reason for wearing the flower crown in today's world. We need some tenderness. And I, uh, I just love that Jesus, the, the God, the Savior that we got in Jesus, reflects that tenderness and, and that beauty. And so I think the invitation um, for us is to practice this tenderness with each other like uh, open to the possibility that Jesus could bring each of us near, um, even if we felt excluded before, even if we want to be excluded sometimes, that God is calling us near. And that brings us, that brings us closer together with other people, even those who are different from us. There's a new place of fellowship in him. And the invitation doesn't come with a, a demand to like make the miracle happen. Even though, yes, we all have, we all have stuff to shed um, as, as, we, as we get closer. We'll, we'll be empowered to do that. Um, but the real invitation is to let God do that work in us um, and to trust God for it. So maybe we do have to put it put aside some laws in, in order to trust. Maybe we have to put aside some laws and regulations that, um, that, we've un that we've been taught about, like not needing other people, not being vulnerable. Maybe we have to put away some um, expectations that we should have already figured this out or something. Um, so maybe we have to put aside some hostility towards ourselves. Maybe we have to hear that we are no longer foreigners and strangers to Jesus, but that we are fully seen and included, like Paul was writing to those Ephesians on both sides of the argument. Wherever you are, let Jesus be your peace. Let him draw you to that, that center point, um, even if it feels impossible to get there. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for um, the miracle of this new humanity that you are creating. We confess that it's, it's, it's hard to even believe it. It's hard to get into it because um, we carry so many uh, parts and differences even within ourselves, um, let alone in relationship with others. So I, I pray that you would do a whole new work in us this season, that you would draw us close to you, closer to you and thus closer to one another. Help us to be open to the possibility that you could do the impossible and that you could give us peace. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.